Hey everybody, this is Nate Smoyer, and you're listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. This is the show where we sit down with the leaders in real estate and technology to find out what they're doing to transform the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. If you've got an interest in real estate and technology, stick around. You're in the right place. Well, hey, Nima, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Uh, I'm doing very well. I think this is the first time I'm going to sport the glasses in one of, <laughs> one of our It's episodes. a good look. I like it. It's, it's, Thank you. Especially with yeah. the beard. It looks great. Try, trying a little Seth Godin look here, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> facial hair, you know? <laughs> well, hey, I appreciate you taking the time uh, and joining us for the show here. Uh, I'm yeah, excited be because this is the first time uh, we're going to be talking a little bit more in the venture capital uh, area, and we touch on this on every episode. Mm-hmm. We've never had someone from within the industry come on and talk about how they see things. So I'm excited to hear what you have to say. But uh, to start off the show right, let's uh, let's allow you to introduce yourself. Let everyone know who you are and what you do. Absolutely. Uh, well, hey, everyone. My name is Nima Wedlake. I am a principal at a firm called Tom Best Ventures. So as Nate mentioned, we're a venture capital firm uh, based in San Francisco. We invest across a variety of of industries, uh, real estate has, is, and real estate technology uh, has been a really important vertical for us over the last year. Um, so I spent a lot of my time working with entrepreneurs in, in the category and and helping uh, shepherd in new investments on behalf of Tomvest and uh, and really get a lot of energy out of meeting with uh, with visionary founders who are working on really hard problems. Oh, I like that. Really hard problems. Yeah. We're going to have to dig into that in a little bit. Before we go too far, though, um, you know, like I said, you know, we've got a lot of real estate founders and some tech leaders and some, some haven't gone the venture route. So not everyone, and, you know, include myself, I had to ask you before the show, but what does a principal at a venture capital firm, what, what, what does a principal do? What is your role? Yeah, absolutely. Good question. So, um, you know, the, Venture funds are typically pretty small There's uh, and, and pretty flat from a hierarchy standpoint. So typical roles, there's an analyst or associate, uh, more junior role. Um, there's the, the partner, uh, the partners at a, at a fund. And then principal is, or VP often is a kind of in-between role uh, where you're, you're building your track record uh, uh, on your way to becoming a, a full-fledged uh, partner at a fund. And um, really, day to day, it's, uh, uh, you know, I would divide my, my time into three general buckets. So one is uh, working with existing portfolio companies of ours, helping them with a variety of um, uh, strategic projects, uh, helping them with fundraising, if that's um, the mode they're in, uh, helping them with hiring, uh, just kind of being a, 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 a useful resource for them on a day to day basis. Uh, second bucket of time is spent on sourcing new investment opportunities. So uh, that's meeting with entrepreneurs that we haven't um, uh, connected with yet, uh, really getting to know their business um, and then deciding, uh, you know, whether we want to, uh, to make the investment, uh, should we be so privileged to do so. Uh, and then the, the third area is, you know, I spend a lot of time um, kind of taking a step back from, uh, specific companies uh, and, and trying to get smart about um, industries at a high level and then ultimately zooming into a few areas within real estate, for instance, that we think are interesting, developing a thesis 
um, uh, around a, a vertical or sector. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's good. I appreciate you going into those details there. I, you know, I, in my head, I was like, well, I wonder if like every day is kind of like Shark Tank. You just kind of walk in, you sit behind a desk and, you know, everyone just, they usher them in one at a time, but obviously it's a little bit, a little bit different than that. Yes. No, I mean, there's, there's definitely a, a lot of, um, a lot of pitches that, that we, we, um, that we sit in and, you know, that's very fun, privileged, uh, uh, position to be in to, to speak to an entrepreneur and, and get a sense of what they're up to and, and, and why they think it's interesting. Um, you know, but, but I try to diversify my time and, and make sure that the, it, the areas where uh, we're already invested in and the companies we're, we're, we're working with currently uh, continue to get our, our, you know, uh, a good portion of our attention and, uh, and, and make sure we're, we're, uh, we're seeing value or we're seeing those, uh, those companies accrue value over time. Got it. So what, how does someone become your position though? I mean, do you have to, you, you mentioned, right? VC firms and funds relatively, horizontal from a you know, mm -hmm. hierarchical perspective. So mm -hmm. you, did you come from FinTech? You come from real estate or some other industry that's directly related? Yeah. So I spent a, a lot of time um, working with um, uh, startups for probably three years prior to joining the firm. So both as a consultant and as an employee of, of technology companies um, and, and within those working across a variety of roles from product to marketing, uh, spent some time in sales and business development. And so really tried to get a broad understanding of, of um, you know, what are the key components that make a company succeed and, and um, you know, what are the attributes within a founding team and, and a, a team broadly that, that are indicative of, of long-term success. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to work with a, a company that was a Tom Best portfolio company. Uh, and, and through that, built a relationship with, with the team here and um, about three years ago, decided to jump to the other side of the table and spend some time um, uh, as, as an investor. And it's been a really interesting experience so far. Very cool. Well, let, let's jump right into it and talk about what, uh, what you guys are doing over there at TomVest. For sure. Um, let's start, you know, a kind of a higher level. What are some of the industries that you guys are focused on right now investing in? Yep. Uh, good question. So, uh, we are a $300 million fund and um, from a approach to investing standpoint, we, we've decided to focus our efforts on uh, a, just a small number of verticals. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, real estate technology is, is, has become a really important vertical for us. And that's personally where I've been spending a lot of time. Um, uh, adjacent to that is financial technology. Uh, so think uh, any kind of, uh, traditional banking or, or lending experience that's been digitized. So, uh, it's first investment in that space with a company called lending club, you know, one of the first online lenders, uh, one of the first peer to peer lenders. Um, and we've, we've, uh, made a lot of interesting investments in, in the lending space in particular over the last several years. Uh, third category is cybersecurity. And we have a, a team internally that focuses specifically on, on opportunity, opportunities in cybersecurity. Uh, and then fourth, uh, and this is an area I spend time in as well as in uh, marketing technology. So think of all the, the hundreds of maybe thousands of SaaS companies now that, that help marketers do a better job. Uh, we've, 
we've met with you know many of them and and uh, have a have a few interesting investments in that category as well I can only imagine that category. I love sometimes looking at the landscapes when people are like, this is what yeah. the sales and marketing stack looks like. Yeah. I've seen one recently where it was like, I think it was only 10 years ago and then to today and it's just, it's mind blowing. Yeah, um, and, and there's like no real estate for, for any additional logos. Each logo is a few pixels. It's the, the market oh, maps are, it, are quite packed, yeah. It's actually nearly like, I remember when these landscapes like first caught on, I was like, oh, this is really useful. I can prospect out like maybe some companies to go after now you get this is like well maybe we can go after this corner because there's just no other i mean it's just yeah. so crowded and it, it obviously speaks to you got to have a, a tremendous uh a tremendously deep level expertise because you know you could you could find a new sales and marketing technology company to talk to i mean depending on which block you're walking on yep how many steps so yep. um that's very cool. So one, one of the things that uh, I wanted to talk about, so I, you know, going through the site, uh, going through your website, and, and mm -hmm. I came across something that I thought was interesting. Um, you guys talk about your structure, that your structure is a little bit different. You say one of the benefits of our structure is that we never have to raise money from outside investors. Talk to me about why that's important and how that affects um, your, your portfolio uh, partners. Yep. Yeah, so, um you know, I, I would say uh, the the structure of Tomvest is slightly unique if you th if you compare us to uh, the hundreds of venture funds that are in uh, the uh, kind of in our neck of the woods. Uh, and uh, the reason is that we are, uh, if you think about a traditional venture fund, uh, they raise let's call it a hundred million dollar fund. And where does that money come from? It typically comes from wealthy individuals, uh, pension funds, um, mutual funds, um, sometimes sovereign wealth funds. If you think about um, uh, SoftBank's vision fund, right? That's, that's coming from a, from a, uh, a sovereign uh, wealth fund. And, uh, and all that, th those sources of capital are compiled into a traditional, into a single fund structure. Uh, and then the, the, partners running the fund are, are tasked with deploying that capital into hopefully good investments. Uh, so Tomvest has a single source of capital and it's, it's an individual named Peter Thompson, which is where our, our firm's name come from, uh, comes mm -hmm. from. And, uh, and he uh, started investing in, in Silicon Valley uh, more than 20 years ago and really has a, a, a long-term view on, on technology and, and, um, uh, venture capital as a, as a category, as an asset class. And so, whereas most funds, when they deploy that $100 million, they need to go back in the market and, and raise additional capital. Um, we have kind of a, this fixed source of, of, of capital. Peter's, um, Peter's family is, was the uh, part of the, the founding group of what's now Thompson Reuters. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of where, where the wealth or their, their wealth originates from. And so uh, we've been fortunate enough to partner with Peter and, and help him identify some really great investment opportunities. And he takes a extremely long-term view on, on any new investment. So we don't have to push a company to go public or sell too early. Uh, we can help them mm. really realize the value that, that the entrepreneurs uh, set out to create from, from day one. That's so interesting. So I could see how that would shape then that could, that could change some of the decisions that are made within a product or a service because there's no, 
I mean, I'm sure there's some pressure to perform on a quarter to quarter basis, but it's not necessarily, Hey, we've got to get out, you know, one year from now and here are the things we need to do to be able to do that, you know, because you're taking the longer uh, point of view. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of examples, we have, um, we have a company where uh, kind of our first uh, investment in the company came in probably 2006. Uh, and that was a, 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 we participated in the series A financing and we've been active supporters of the company ever since. So, you know, more than a decade and uh, you know, there's over the lifetime of that company, there's been moments to what you're alluding to is, you know, do we manage to profitability? Do we, mm-hmm. um, do we pursue an acquisition uh, or do we, you know, invest in a new product area that we think is interesting, even if it might have a short-term impact on, on revenue or profitability. Uh, and, you know, it, our calculus is as long as it's, um, you know, in the long term going to lead to a more valuable um, outcome for everyone around the table, whether that's in a year or in 10 years, you know, you know we'll, we'll pursue the path that, that leads to most value. Got it. And you guys also, uh, you invest with, with companies at multiple stages. It's not yep. just one stage or another. Um, yep. How how do you manage? Because when I've heard other VCs talk about this, they say, hey, we really only look for super early stage or we're only looking for companies that are genuinely ready for their Series A. And they've got very strict criteria as to what qualifies. So how are you managing, you know, the perspective and the strategy at multiple stages to make good sound investments? Yeah, it's a very good question. And, and I think this is one of the, the byproducts of working with an individual like Peter. Uh, we don't have to have a specific mandate on, on something like stage, for instance, or check size. Um, our, our general ethos when it comes to investing is find the company we think is the leader in a space or has the potential to become the leader and partner with them regardless of stage. So, Mm. um, you know, within real estate technology, for instance, we've done investments where we uh, participate in the series D financing. So pretty late stage. Um, uh, and then we've also done stuff as early as seed in real estate. Um, so there's a, a wide range of, um, of kind of potential entry points when it comes to working, uh, Tom Vest working with a, with a, uh, a prospective investment. Um, and for us, it's really about getting a sense of the team and the market and then the specific opportunity um, they're pursuing. So I also checked out on the site that you guys specify that, you, you know, you, do, you don't just look for a specific t- uh, target of ownership, but you, you do uh, a mix of equity and venture debt. And this is interesting to me because uh, I recently saw a post from Michael Del Prate on LinkedIn and he said, you know, when did we start categorizing raising debt or, or taking on debt as raising money. Yep. And I have seen this, but I genuinely, I, I guess I never thought to, to ask that question of since when is raising money taking on debt the same thing? So maybe you can speak to that. Why do people talk about, you know, raising debt as, or, or taking on debt as raising money? Is it the same? And, and what are the real distinct differences between, uh, a, you know, an equity investment versus venture debt? Yep. So, so we think about them as kind of different pools of capital, of course. Um, and I think that that's the, the point that, that um, that you're alluding to. And, um, and so what we, one of the areas where we think we can provide value, especially where it, when it pertains to some of the fintech uh, and real estate technology companies, 
that need to raise debt in order to, uh, you know, fund their lending business or, or fund acquisition of homes or, or, or whatever it is. Um, you know, we can do that all under one roof, uh, given kind of the, the broad assets of, of the, the, um, the individual we work for. Uh, but we do think of them as, as, in, as unique pools of capital. So we have a separate team that focuses on, on any um, opportunities as it pertains to debt. And then my job and the, the Tom best job is to, um, to think about opportunities just ex- exclusively from an equity perspective. Uh, and so, you know, it's obviously within, within financial technology, it's a super important component of, of any company's life cycle is their ability to raise debt. Um, but the, you know, the fundamental uh, uh, structure of that capital is different, right? So in, in an equity standpoint, we're investing in the company. We own a percentage of the company following that financing. Um, you know, our ability to recoup that, that, that uh, investment is based on the success of the company and kind of the long-term uh, exit of the company, whether they go public or get acquired, mm-hmm. what have you. Um, and if, you know, for a variety of reasons, the company uh, isn't successful, uh, you know, that we, that investment can be written down to zero at one point, right? On the, the debt side, it's, it's not too much different from, uh, you know, the debt a, a mortgage borrower uh, will, will incur when they, when uh, a mortgage is originated, right? Uh, and so there's uh, typically an interest rate associated with it. Uh, there's recourse when it comes to capturing the principal value of the debt. Um, and then it, it sits, it sits above the, the, uh, the equity, um, capital when it, when, uh, the company does, uh, eventually, uh, achieve some sort of liquidity event. So very different pools of capital. Um, and yeah, like when it comes to mixing the two, uh, we think about it just as a, from the standpoint of, we want to make it easy for uh, for an entrepreneur to raise both debt and equity, even though we think about them as kind of unique um, uh, pools of capital. I think that's very helpful, um, yeah. and that obviously gives people something to consider. I mean, you can't—it's not just getting a loan, but you know that loan is in first position above any equity holder. So there's some pretty significant—I um, don't want to say consequences in a negative way, but clearly, you know, when you take on that level of debt. I'm sure everyone can structure it however they want, you know, it's yep. private money. Um, but when done in that way, it comes with great considerations because other equity holders then may not be in that position to, to get paid if the exit doesn't hit its mark. Yep. Um, yep. Absolutely. And you know, I think the, um, there, there are some cases when, when, um, when ec- raising additional equity makes more sense than raising debt. Um, and some cases when the inverse is true and really what it comes down to is mm-hmm. making sure you're working with the right people and have the right partners around the table that, that will help advise you on, on those type of decisions. Got it. Yep. Let's, uh, let's shift gears a little bit here. And I would, I'd love to talk about some of the actual companies you've worked with. Um, For sure. You know, obviously the, the show is we are the real estate and tech show. I know there's a bunch out there, but you know, we're the only <laughs> one as far as I'm concerned. I'm just kidding. But you're the no, best I, one. I mean, <laughs> Number one, you just heard it here, people. <laughs> um, but you know, so so who are the some of the companies that you guys have invested into that might also uh, be you know somewhat directly related to this show that would be interesting to our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So um, you know, as as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, we've have a, a long history of investing in financial technology. 
And a lot of that came from a lending perspective. And so um, much of what we've done in, in the real estate vertical has kind of taken that flavor as well, at least initially. So some companies that, that your listeners may have heard of, um, SoFi, mm-hmm. uh, so it started in student loan uh, refinance and has since moved into mortgage as well. Um, built a really nice business originating mortgages. Um, uh, we recently invested in a company called Figure, which was um, found by actually the founder of SoFi as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're focused on home equity line of credit, uh, building a really interesting platform to originate uh, those type of uh, debt products uh, really quickly um, and in an, a kind of digital only experience. Um, on the uh, also in, in kind of the, the lending space within real estate, we're investors in a company called Peer Street, which um, is focused on, I would say, some non conforming um, uh, loan products. So, uh, for instance, uh, f- fix and flip loans, bridge loans have been a big focus of theirs and connecting pools of capital to um, lenders that are focused on identifying borrowers in that, in that area. Um, and they've built a really, uh, you know, large marketplace. They did, they announced recently that they did over a billion in originations um, wow. on the Pierce Street platform last year um, and, and have built a great Just last great year. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I think 1.7 billion throughout their, their history. So uh, obviously a ton of growth um, uh, recently. And, um, and then within, um, I would call it the mortgage technology space where investors in, uh, in a company called Blend, uh, which works with banks and non-bank lenders to provide a better um, consumer experience when it comes to the application process associated with, uh, with a mortgage. So if you think about uh, the, let's call it the traditional process, it's very much paperwork driven. Uh, you have to provide tons and tons of documentation to, uh, to a loan officer uh, in, in order for them to accurately underwrite you for, for a home purchase. Right. And what Blend has done is, is help digitize much of that process. So if you think about it, the, a lot of that, that data that you, um, that you have to provide in the form of W-2s or, or bank statements can be accessed digitally and via an API and uh, blends on the hard work of, of consolidating all of, all of the, um, uh, those data requests into a single digital platform and, and they wow. take the, uh, the application process down to a few minutes. And, uh, and they work with some of the larger banks in the U.S. like Wells Fargo. I got to ask, is it faster than eight minutes? I think it depends on, uh, on, on <laughs> what type of borrower is coming through the door, but it can be is, is, uh, is what the company will tell you. Yeah, you know, I, I've spoken with a few people. Um, you know, obviously, I was, I was alluding to our friends at Quicken uh, with yep. the eight minute. But uh, it's kind of funny when you think about it a little bit. Like, I can't remember what the movie was, but there was a uh, – you know, a character who claimed to invent seven-minute abs because it was one minute better than eight-minute abs. (laughs) And, you know, I think down to the minute, you know, that's important, yes. But really what it's illustrating is, hey, this doesn't have to be a several-day process. It can literally be minutes. And especially in markets where, you know, the, the level of competitiveness that we've seen in this last run in real estate Mm-hmm. to get a property. It, I, you know, I don't think this is going to be an anomaly. This is 
now it's not going to continue forever where properties sell in two, three days. I don't think, you know, we're going to see some slowdowns. But what this is showing is, hey, business is sped up and the consumer needs to move fast. And if your product is out front solving that pain, you don't have three days to go get your letter for approval in a competitive market. It's called missing out on everything by doing that or missing out on the one, so to speak. So I, I think it's brilliant, you know, that they're, they're focusing on doing that. Yeah. Um, some yeah, of these companies, you know, are a little bit in the mortgage space, obviously finance, they're related to real estate. Um, what would you say are some common characteristics that you guys are looking for in companies, uh, especially with, with regards to anything in, in uh, you know, fintech or real estate tech? What are you looking for in those companies to say, hey, this is, this is a good fit for our portfolio? Yep. Uh, good question. So, you know, um, I think generically, um, so across all the verticals we invest in, uh, a couple of things we look for. Um, one is a, an exceptional founding team that has some sort of uh, unique advantage uh, within the market they're, they're focused on. So, you know, either they've, uh, like in the case of, of Pier Street, for instance, uh, one of the founders spent a career as a real estate lawyer and, and worked on um, uh, a variety of transactions where alternative forms of debt were required and, and you know, deeply understood the inefficiencies in the market and set out to build a, a 10x better experience. Um, and, and so that's kind of, you know, table stakes is, is, is an exceptional team um, with, with kind of deep domain expertise. Uh, you know, the second thing we look for is companies working in within a market opportunity that's, that we think will, will lead to a massive outcome for the company. Um, and, you know, how we define massive outcome, it's, you know, there's a variety of ways to do so. One of, one of our tent poles is, can this company get to $100 million in, in uh, revenue and continue growing? Um, and wow. that's a, that's a, keeps us honest around the, um, the total size of the opportunity. Small as benchmarks, as, just $100 million Yeah, exactly, right? Uh, but that's kind of the name of the game in venture, right? You're, you're, our, our job is to swing for the fences. Um, well, it, you know, at $100 million in annual revenue puts you at unicorn status on exit. Absolutely, yeah. That, that's, that's another way to think about it. Is there room for, for, for the company to become a unicorn? Uh, for those and, who aren't familiar with the unicorn language, you want to fill us <laughs> in here, Nima? Yeah, it's, it's a company that's, that's worth a billion dollars or more. Yep. Which is becoming more and more frequent. You know, poor WeWork only raised another $2 billion, Yeah. Exactly. Uh, instead of 16 the other day. But, I mean, obviously, they're an, they are an, a total anomaly. Um, I, but the, we should do a whole episode on that one. But I, I won't get into that one today because I need someone to explain <laughs> it to me. But I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Sorry, yeah, I cut I, you off. You were talking about to, characteristics over here. Yeah, we, we should have a, another uh, a follow-up chat about WeWork. Uh, lots, of, lots of fun, interesting things going on there. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so uh, – you know, so great team, big market opportunity, I think generically is, is, is what we look for. And then within real estate, um, a couple things. So one, um, uh, you know, obviously uh, we, we think from a consumer perspective, if, if the company is, is targeting consumers ultimately, like, um, like SoFi is, for instance, or Figure, uh, we want to make sure that they're delivering a 10x better experience um, than, than um, kind of the existing uh, state of art. And, uh, and, you know, why? Because I, I think the consumers uh, are demanding that, right? And that's kind of the future we live in now. And, 
Uh, and so there's a, a huge advantage that can be gained by simplifying the process and going from an eight minute to a seven minute application process. Um, and, and so, so we are, um, so we're, we spend a lot of time with the product team as well when, when we're, when we're diligencing a company and, and getting a sense of what their vision is and, and how they plan on, on really delighting, uh, consumers in the long term. Uh, and then, you know, uh, finally within real estate, one thing we've noticed, uh, that makes real estate unique relative to some, to some of the other verticals we invest in. And so it's very operationally intensive, right? So these are, they call it real for a reason. It's the, you're dealing with the real world and real assets. And um, that leads to a lot of uh, kind of organizational complexity. And so we try to spend time with the team and get a sense of their ability to, to manage through that. So if you think about a company um, like Open Door, for instance, massive uh, organization they've need to they've, they've needed to build massive um, uh, kind of uh, set of processes they've needed to develop in order to uh, to buy homes at scale and so we take we spend a lot of time understanding um, uh, that piece of the business as well that is awesome uh, I think a lot of our listeners are going to appreciate that um, I think when when we send out the the uh, email of here's all the secrets on how to get your real estate tech startup invested into, uh, it's going to blow up. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, I think, uh, it's, it's a super interesting, uh, asset, uh, vertical for, uh, for sure. Uh, you can see it in the, the amount of venture capital that's been going into, into the space. It's, it's ballooned from, you know, maybe a hundred million a decade ago to, I think, over 4 billion last year, just went into real estate technology alone. I think it was, um, I mean, not to not to be a well actually, but wasn't uh, <laughs> sorry, <It's> but, <laughs> but wasn't 2017? Oh man, was it CB Insights reported? It was like 12.1. Maybe think, maybe it was. It could have been even bigger. Yeah, yeah I think I think uh, 2016 was like four billion. 2017 was over 12. And last year, I haven't seen I haven't seen a report of it. I, one of these days, I'm gonna like master. I'm going to put together a master sheet of crunch base and get some like insiders everywhere. But I mean, it, it, it was huge last year, if, especially yeah. if you count commercial and residential yep. applications together in, in the amount of money that was raised, especially from outside of real estate. Yep. I mean, it's, it's some significant partners. This is usually later in the show, but why do you think right now we're seeing this influx? And, and when I think about it, I think it's, it just makes sense. And there's some people, this is, this is one of the things that like I get stuck on. This is my soapbox of like, whether or not you believe technology is going to change the industry or not, doesn't matter. So, you know, Pulte Homes is one of the biggest home builders in America. And I don't know what they're doing with, re oh, we had another pause. Sorry okay. about that. Got another phone call. <laughs> it's all right. Let me put it on, uh, on do not disturb. Yeah. All right. I'll pick up. You know, Pulte Homes is one of the biggest home builders in America, but you know, and I don't know what they're doing from a technology standpoint. But I know Lennar, who is the largest home builder in America, is is they're they're woke on this. They have been actively pressing into real estate tech because they see that hey, writing's on the wall, mm -hmm. things are shifting, they're moving. Uh, we've got to get smart. So, but why do you think there's so many companies focused on real estate right now? Yeah, very good question. So I, uh, a few hypotheses around that. One, I think the, um, the swell of uh, 
financial technology companies that you saw maybe five years ago was a byproduct of um, kind of growing uh, the, the, the growing adoption of, of mobile devices um, and, and just uh, kind of growing expectation around the delivery of consumer experiences um, through digital channels. And um, coupled, we coupled that with the ability to actually underwrite uh, borrowers and originate loans um, digitally without having to meet someone in person, right? And that started with an unsecured consumer loan um, uh, delivered through a company like Lending Club, for instance. Mm-hmm. And so over time, we've seen increasingly complex transactions move online. And I think real estate inherently is the most complex uh, financial transaction that, that most of us will go through in our lives, largest and most complex. And it's taken a while for, for um, real estate transactions to move online, but I think we're in this really nice sweet spot where, one, there's a ton of data that's available digitally now on both borrowers and properties that help us um, set up a technology team in Austin or San Francisco or New York and be able to work with a, a home buyer in Charlotte or Nashville um, or kind of any market in the United States. Um, so one, the kind of ability to build a company in real estate has, uh, has, has been accelerated by um, data and, uh, and then uh, adoption of, of uh, digital technologies by consumers. Uh, you know, the second thing is, uh, you know, oftentimes we need a few successes in order to um, help us realize uh, the opportunity in a, in a given space. And I think Zillow and Redfin uh, have been great examples of, of um, how there's a lot of ability to build big companies um, within real estate. Airbnb is another great example of, um, of building a, a marketplace in, in a category that most people just didn't think existed. And that piques the interest of uh, both venture capitalists and, and also entrepreneurs. And so what I've seen over the last year is with some of those successes, uh, we're seeing a lot of fantastic entrepreneurs that that might be might have spent a career in enterprise software or might have spent time in advertising technology gravitate towards uh real estate one because um you know they've acutely felt the pain of of a real estate transaction gone gone bad and they they know how inefficient the transactions um uh are and then two, they, they're kind of recognizing that there are big, big companies to be built in, in this, this category as evidenced by some of their predecessors. That last point that you just mentioned is, is about, I would say, 50% of the reason why I ended up actually going and getting my real estate license awesome. and selling real estate because it, it, on that first transaction, there was so much I was frustrated by and irritated by and annoyed by and even then becoming a real estate agent once I got into the trenches and felt everything and felt it firsthand and then and the tensions that exist because of the system that is currently in place you know that's what started sparking the idea of like wait a minute you know software it, it, it can it can solve a lot of complex problems it can remove redundancy it can remove a lot of effort and tension that exists here we've got to make this better. So I'm so glad to hear you say that because I end up getting on that tangent and, and soapbox a whole lot. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And, and you know, like I, I, I'm not the first person that works at a venture fund to, to realize this. I, I think there's 
uh, yeah. across dozens and dozens of, uh, of um, folks I meet with that, that are in the same role as myself, but at a different firm. Everyone's kind of recognized this opportunity and, and we're actively looking for, uh, yeah. for, for great entrepreneurs and great companies in the space. So, okay, you, you're actively looking for them. You're looking for the ones who are, hey, who's changing the game? Who's got the potential to really scale, hit 100 million annual revenue? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for, the, for some of the maybe company founders who are listening, what's some pro tips you can give them to prepare their company in approaching someone like Tom Vest and saying, hey, we think you might be a good partner to help us get to that next level? Yep. So, um, you know, I, I kind of hinted at this or, or discussed shades of this uh, earlier, but one is, um, you know, do a good job articulating the problem that, that you're setting out to solve. Um, and uh, kind of describe the world as it, as it exists today or as it, or as it has existed historically, and then um, uh, crisply describe the, the kind of world you're trying to build for um, and, and what your product does uh, in order to get us from A to B. So, mm-hmm. so one is like problem definition and then uh, solution identification. Uh, then two, de- describe why you're best prepared or uniquely advantaged to, to make that, that transition um, and, and solve that, the, the problem that you've, you've uh, found. Uh, and then three, show us, um, you know, even if, even if it's early stage, show us some, some evidence that, that you're well on the path towards, uh, towards um, achieving that, the, the goals that you've set out for yourself um, and that there's a clear, uh, kind of path to, to, to uh, revenue and to that hundred million uh, marker that, that we've talked about previously. That's excellent. I think that uh, that's going to give a lot of people a, a good jump off for in moving forward. And um, you know, I, I certainly, I, I don't know when it is when, when, I, when we finally figure out what we're going to solve, it's going to do a hundred million a year. For sure. Uh, I'll put and, all that and, in the line. <laughs> and, and what I will say too is um, you know, a, uh, for any folks that are, that are, you know, in the process of raising or thinking about raising, um, feel free to reach out to me. I, I can uh, help provide feedback on, um, on, you know, creating investor decks, um, help provide templates for investor decks, uh, oh, very help, cool. help, help walk through the, um, the kind of process for, for pitching uh, investors and, and I'll just try to be as helpful as possible. Yeah. We'll have contact info that are in the show notes. So wherever you find the episode, uh, you'll have contact info on how to get a hold of Nima for that. Um, we're going to, we're going to keep on rolling here. Um, I want to, I want to transition probably to, to my favorite segment of the show, put you in the hot seat and ask okay. you to make some predictions uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> we call this for the future for the future is a segment where I get to ask each guest who comes on the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Nima, you ready to play? Let's do it. All right. Question number one, what does Tom Vest Ventures look like one year from now? Ooh. So I think that, uh, we recently moved our office from Redwood city. So if you're with the Bay Area, it's, it's in the peninsula kind of between Palo Alto and San Francisco to San Francisco. Um, and uh, as part of that, we're, we're making, we're expanding the size of the team and, and um, uh, in order to um, kind of increase the, the volume of investments that, that we're, that we're doing on an annual basis here. So I would say larger team and, uh, and more really interesting uh, real estate tech companies in our portfolio a year from now. 
You heard it first. Uh, <laughs> question number two, what's the housing market look like one year from now? Uh, you know, very, very good question. Uh, we're, we're trying to, to work through that as well. Uh, for, again, for folks in, in the Bay Area, uh, you know, I think we're all hoping for some, uh, for home prices to, to get slightly more affordable and uh, out, outside of the crazy zone that, that they're in right now. Um, but, um, but, you know, I, I, I think a lot of people are predicting a, a cool down uh, driven by interest rates. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, we, we tend to agree with that. Uh, you saw kind of a spike in interest rates towards the end of last year. And there was, um, you know, a, a very noticeable cooling of, of, um, of markets, especially um, those that have, have been so overheated for the last couple of years. And, and I think we'll continue to see that. I think you're absolutely right. Um, it's kind of funny though, because still, if you're getting a 4.5% interest rate, historically, that is amazing on a mortgage. I know, I know, so, yeah. But uh, yeah, perspective changes everything. Yep. Question number three, when will the next big boom or bust happen in real estate? Uh, so, you know, um, we've, we've looked at a ton of data on the um, the uh, underlying, um, credit quality of borrowers in, in the, in the U S, uh, and compared that to, um, you know, a decade ago. So, or, or even longer than a decade ago, 2006, 2007. And, um, you know, the recovery has been, uh, following the, the great recession was slow and steady and there was definitely a credit tightening. And uh, what we've seen as a result is, um, you know, a lot of homeowners who, um, who are in a much better position to kind of to continue paying their mortgage and avoid default, even in some sort of recessionary environment than there were um, prior to the, to the um, crisis of 2007 mm. and 2008. So we think kind of fundamentally the housing market is more sound than it was um, previously. Uh, which is which is good because I think any any time, uh, you know, we're we're at nearly all time highs and uh, across a variety of metrics um, from a from a macroeconomic perspective, uh, and so you know we're we're gonna be in for some sort of downturn um, over the next several years, and um, you know a, a lot of um, what we're looking for is what's the resiliency of of the housing market. Um, during a downturn and, and we think uh we think it's fairly resilient especially compared to a, a decade ago yeah I and mean, you guys obviously have some advantages here because you have some portfolio partners that have some really good you know up-to-date data and can see patterns especially anyone you know that's in the lending or refi or heloc business mm -hmm those patterns can dictate what is consumer sentiment, where are people going or thinking and how they're feeling. And, you know, you get that across different markets and verticals, not just in, you know, San Francisco, you know, and it's a little special, <laughs> I'll call it yeah. special environment. <laughs> we're, we're a weird little bubble. <laughs> hey, I'm up by Seattle, man. We're, we're uh, a little bit different, but not a whole lot. So, yeah. all right, let's get to question number four. Question number four is, what's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of technological advances? Um, you know, I, I think you'll see uh, an increasing uh, number of uh, home transactions being 
um, intermediated by some sort of technology platform. So, um, mm-hmm. so, so think about what Zillow is doing in the home buying space, for instance, right? Super interesting. Um, uh, they're abstracting a lot of the complexity associated with the, with the transaction. And I think that'll result in a delightful, um, selling experience or buying experience. And, uh, it's going to be a, a slow but steady increase in the percentage of transactions that, that are, that occur, um, in a, in a similar format, but, um, uh, you know, long term, I see more and more home uh, home sales being managed by um, a technology company versus, uh, you know, uh, a, a traditional independent real estate agent. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think, um, you know, Brad Inman said, uh, I thought he was a little off his rocker with this one, but he said something like 20% of the market could go to iBuyers in 2019. And it was something very high percentage. Mm -hmm. I thought it was higher than what it was, but I have to give some credit to Geek Estate. Um, I think it was Drew who did a write-up. And really what they talked was the Zillow offers play here is is not necessarily maybe to really be an iBuyer. It's to gobble all the leads. I mean, it's the very first step in the lead. What's my house worth? And if you know you're going to get an offer – say, you know, here's your instant offer. Here's what it could list for. I mean, that's just a a tremendous value prop to have. And and obviously they have the portal of choice by consumers. Uh, So it will be interesting. I think you're right. And there's some, some fun rumor mills going out there about who's going to acquire who, because uh, getting the market share you need to truly, you know, get to a tipping point of making that business model work at scale is going to be costly and very difficult. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think to, to your point, there will be some consolidation amongst brokerages um, uh, that uh, in, in the vein of what Compass is doing and they'll continue to, to, to make moves like that yeah. um, in order to, to get to a scale that, that, that enables them to do things like iBuying. Yeah. We're going to move on to the last three uh, questions we got here, Nima. These are actually cool. a little bit more focused on you. So our listeners and viewers can get to know you a little bit better. Um, so I'm wondering, what are you reading? What kind of books or blogs or magazines do you uh, choose to read? Yep. Uh, so I, I just, uh, over the holidays, I read a book called Bad Blood, uh, which oh. is about the Theranos story, uh, which is a, a blood testing uh, company that was once a unicorn, like we, like we chatted about. Um, that ended up being uh, kind of a fraud that was perpetrated by the, the founder and some of her, her executives and really like riveting story about um, the lengths the, uh, um, the, the CEO went to uh, obfuscate uh, the fact that there wasn't much behind the technology she was developing. Uh, really, really great wow. read. Uh, recommend it to everyone. Uh, Sapiens is another book I, I read um, in 2018 that I really enjoyed. It's on my list. That's like the abbreviated history of humans, right? Exactly. Uh, oops, sorry. And, uh, and finally, uh, if for the folks in, uh, interested in real estate, there's a, there's a great book called House of Debt, which uh, talks about the housing crisis uh, and, and uh, what led to it, uh, and then uh, prescribes some solutions to our, to our housing finance system that, that might help us avoid um, uh, moments in time like that uh, going forward. Got it. I'm going to have to check that out. Um, yeah, that's a good one. Last one here. Uh, what helps keep you inspired or, or even who inspires you? 
Yeah, uh, I get a lot of energy from from meeting with entrepreneurs and and um, understanding that the the really hard challenges that, that they're tackling. Um, you know, it's uh, like I mentioned at, at the beginning of this interview. It's I, I think about uh, my role as a very privileged position to be able to um, to meet with and and interact with uh, with uh, operators um, at the earliest stages of, of their company formation. And, uh, that's, that's a, a great source of energy. There's a first for everything. And I totally missed question number two. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you, I always have this like nice flow here, but, uh, no, uh, so this is truly the last one though. It's just a little out of order than usual. Uh, who are you learning from? Oh, wow. Uh, great question. I, I spend a lot of time, um, uh, looking to other folks in, in the firm here as mentors. Um, you know, one, one thing we try to do is create a really collegial academic atmosphere almost, um, where, uh, every investment opportunity is, is brought to the entire group. It's not managed by a single person. And that leads to lots of thought provoking discussions about, about companies, mm. about industries, about areas we should pursue, uh, in terms of new investments and, uh, and that's been a, a great source of, uh, of, uh, of inspiration and, and learning. Nima, this has been awesome. Um, I, I really appreciate your time. I think this has been a, this has been one of those shows where, uh, I genuinely feel I've learned uh, a lot more. Um, also now I know the, the secrets to getting that, uh, <laughs> that, that unicorn valuation. So we just got a little bit of work. You know, yes. Team Panda will be there, no problem. Yes. But uh, hey, before it. we sign off, I promised this, you know, earlier, I want to give you the opportunity. Uh, let people know if they, if they want to connect with you or they want to learn more about TomVest, you know, where do they go to do that? How do they get in touch with you? All that. Absolutely. So, um, you know, a good place to start is, is perusing our website, TomVest.com, T-H-O-M-V-E-S-T. And, uh, and then on, if you want to connect with myself, uh, Twitter is a good place to do so. My uh, Twitter handle is MimaJW. And uh, yeah, I look forward to connecting. And like I mentioned earlier, please, uh, please feel free to reach out um, uh, and happy to provide feedback on, uh, on any fundraising efforts. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Appreciate it. All right, take care. Well, that's it for today. Thanks so much for listening to the TechNest podcast. Hey, don't forget you can get on the email list so you never miss an upcoming episode. That's technest.io. That's T-E-C-H. Nest.io. Get on the email list. Uh, go to the app store, whether you found us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you found us. Leave us a five star review and share it with your friends. And if you've got a guest or someone that you'd like to recommend, or if you think that you'd be a great guest on the show, hey, send me an email, nate at realteampanda.com. That's nate at realteampanda.com. See you guys later.